Colin Lee was at home at around 6pm on the 4th of August 2020 when a devastating explosion ripped through the port of Beirut in Lebanon's capital. I was on the um, the balcony of the, of the house with I had my kids in the in the TV room sitting there on the couches watching TV and uh, when the first blast went off and and sort of pushed me back um, but it was the second blast that was the really big one. No, let's stay where you are. Stay in the bathroom. Keep the door closed. We sheltered um, just after the second explosion in the bathroom in the hallway, which has no windows and is sort of our go-to room. Um, we always identified it as a go-to room in case there was an explosion because, you know, unfortunately in Lebanon, over the years there have been um, explosions, there have been car bombs. It was terrifying and I think my seven-year-old was, you know, she kept asking in the bathroom, you know, is there going to be another one, is there going to be another one? And the phone lines went down initially on the mobile cells and then came back up and we were trying to clarify what had actually happened. Colin quickly recorded a video showing the impact of the blast, described as one of the biggest ever non-nuclear explosions. In the video that documents the destruction caused to his home, entire window panes had been yanked from the walls and had fallen on seats, the dining table, most parts of the apartment really. Some of the panes were shattered and so there was glass everywhere. Others fell whole, their impact crashing everything underneath. It was the second blast that was the really big one and that was the one that sort of, well, not just blew in the glass but blew in the entire windows, you know, took doors off the hinges, pieces of metal flew around around the rooms. Um, strangely so that some things were still standing um, that obviously weren't in the force of the explosion. Um, the TV was still standing, but other things just were everywhere. And we were extremely lucky where the windows came in, just really a couple of feet from where the children were, were sitting on the couch. And there were some very sad stories of people who actually got caught up in it on their balconies because we saw the first explosion, people went to look. And then, you know, as we're very often trained in, in heat and security training, you know, there there is often a second explosion. The fact that it, it was a second explosion that day was, it wasn't anything to do with security training, it just happened. So, you know, many people had actually rushed out to their, their balconies to see what had happened and to kind of see the smoke rising from the port area and then got walloped in the second one. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a vivid memory for me, certainly one that I won't forget uh, in, in a hurry. Yeah. Across the city, 30-year-old Rewa, who was off duty that day, hurriedly tore through the confusion to get to work. It was hands on deck for Rewa, who is a firefighter paramedic attached to the Beirut Fire Brigade. As first responders, their priority was to put out the fires as well as search, rescue and or recover families caught up in the fire or resulting rubble across the capital. Rewa says that when she got there, both the fire truck and ambulance had already left the station and it would take days before she knew for sure that all her colleagues who left the station that evening for the rescue mission never made it out alive. She lost 10 colleagues that night. I'm Evelyn Ombui. This is a Human Interest Podcast.
know, I had to stop the recording twice because uh, because she started crying. So I was like, please, I want to stop this interview. And then uh, she was like, no, I want to continue. Uh, this is Rachel Chalita, Plan International's Advocacy and Influencing Manager in Lebanon. She helped interview and translate Riwa's account of the devastating blast that left at least 220 people dead, over 6,500 injured and more than 300,000 displaced from their homes. Rachel met Riwa while documenting stories of survivors and heroes of Lebanon as part of efforts to mark one year since the blast. She says interviewing Riwa was heart-wrenching. Life has never been the same for her and her colleagues who remain at the station, most of whom were off duty that day, just like her. It's a sentence that all first respondents from Beirut Blast, civil defense, uh, local partners, uh, everyone said the same sentence. Life before 4th of August is not the same as after the 4th of August. Uh, although uh, they still have this passion in terms of uh, being the first respondents to any emergency, right now it's a scary, it's, it's still a very scary time for them to go down. Lebanon has been documented as a country that, prior to the civil war that took place between 1975 and 1990, enjoyed a diversified economy that included tourism, agriculture, commerce and banking. Its financial power and stability through the 1950s and 1960s had earned Lebanon the name of Switzerland of the East, while its capital, Beirut, attracted so many tourists that it was known as the Paris of the Middle East. Since the end of the war, there have been extensive efforts to revive the economy and rebuild national infrastructure, while still recovering from the political and economic effects of the conflict. But with the pandemic and now the explosion, a lot of these efforts have, unfortunately, been wiped away. At the time of the explosion, Lebanon was already suffering from its most severe economic downtown on record due to continuous political instability and a banking collapse. Today, the World Bank ranks Lebanon's economic crisis episode as one of the worst three globally since the mid-19th century. Here's Colin Lee, who at the time was Plan International's country director for Lebanon. We had a thriving banking sector for a long time. For many, many years in Lebanon, we had between 7 and 10 billion US dollars would come in in remittances from Lebanese overseas. Um, we had a, a fantastic health sector where we had, you know, some of the top doctors uh, and specialists in the world uh, practicing out of Beirut and, and other cities in inside of Lebanon. And they're all gone. They, they, they've just left. You know, if you're a professional in, in Lebanon, what's there to stay for? 90% devaluation of the currency. You know, there's nothing there. There's no money left in the banks. And then the education sector has been smashed as well. There were 163 schools damaged in the explosion to varying degrees some were just were completely smacked but there are a lot of uh, girls who are, are going to miss out on education the public sector uh, the public sector schools are completely overwhelmed uh, as i mentioned you know they don't have electricity uh, during covid 19 lockdowns they haven't had the ability whereby you know in other countries you can have a tablet and you can do online classes school exams have been cancelled we have 
um, a second and a third shift of Syrian refugees. I mentioned a population of 1.5 million in Lebanon. That's a lot of pressure on the local resources. So, you know, there is school dropout. It's very hard to measure at this stage, but we know it's 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 high. We know the rates of child marriage in Lebanon, in Syria, in the surrounding region are increasing because of poverty and, and, and events like August 4th just accelerate this, whereby many people lost jobs in that area in Marmachal, in Jamezi, uh, after the explosion because businesses were completely wiped out. So, you know, no, no opportunity really to put uh, food on the table. One of the biggest challenges documented is the psychosocial impact of the blast on families and especially children. The noise alone, Evelyn, was, you know, just in, incredible. The, the feeling from that blast, the way the house shook, um, you know, and the closer that you were to the port that day, you know, would have a massive impact um, upon people's well-being and, and, and you know, like a lot of friends, family, colleagues, people we work with, we work for have kind of said this as well, that their children are frightened. We had, you know, Christmas Eve on the eve of Christmas um, in December, we had uh, the Israeli Air Force flying at extremely low altitude over uh, Lebanon, over Beirut, um, really low now, um, where my wife jumped out of bed, went and ran and opened all the windows because she thought it was a blast and this was happening again. So if that's in our apartment, you know, you can imagine what it is like in other places as well. Um, you know, a major sort of impact upon children's mindset of what's safe and what's not safe. We've had protests all over Lebanon as well, road blockages. Um, as I mentioned, we've had fights in supermarkets at fuel stations where people are pulling guns. It's not unusual. Um, for this to happen and it's just happening more and more so you know children are very much caught up in this in the year since the blast plan international has reached more than seven thousand children and families with food kits hygiene kits household hygiene kits educational kits laptops cash transfers and psychosocial support sessions but as the crisis deepens children and their families are in urgent need of support Colin, what do you think needs to be done? It's very difficult unless we fix the economic conditions in Lebanon and we have reform and we have a government that you're going to see any major change. It's just going to get worse, unfortunately. It's it's quite a menacing sort of place at the moment that we're dealing with um, and it's really complex. But at the same time, there are certain things that can be put in place from the international community to ensure that, well, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen again, but at the same time to ensure that the Lebanese population um, and the vulnerable groups within the Lebanese population receive assistance and receive humanitarian assistance as quickly as possible. Here's Rachel and Rewa. Rewa has remained as part of the team running Beirut's fire brigade. This is her third year. They never stopped a day, never, ever. Riwa, like many others living in Lebanon, wants to talk about the events of that fateful day on the 4th of August 2020 in the hope that they will get closure, in the hope that they will get justice, and in the hope that they will not be forgotten as they struggle to pick up the pieces. If you want to see a picture of Rewa outside the Beirut Fire Brigade or Colin's video showing the impact of the blast to his house, please head over to the podcast's Instagram page, The Human Interest Podcast, for a sneak peek. I'm Evelyn Ombui. This is a Human Interest Podcast.